Before we start, just a heads up to parents. In this episode, we'll be discussing topics that are inappropriate for children. If you have kids around, we recommend you save this one for later. Also, we want to give a trigger warning. This episode will mention physical and sexual abuse. Some words are archaic. Honestly, I think the word archaic is pretty archaic. Well, I guess it's a pretty good word then. So some words, like archaic, sound primitive. And in the Bible, there are a lot of mentions of idolatry, and it can be hard to relate to what's going on. It's easy to just feel like those texts don't really apply to us. Yeah, I've definitely felt that before. I mean, I've never been tempted to worship statues, and honestly, for me at least, it's hard to understand why someone would be tempted to. The whole thing can seem pretty bizarre. Yeah, living in the West in the 21st century is about as far away from Israel's culture as we could possibly get. But in the Bible, we see this concept of idols and idolatry, and God clearly hates it. I remember the golden calf in Exodus, and the Lord hates Israel's idolatry so much that he was willing to actually destroy them and start over with Moses, which to me seems like a really extreme reaction. Right? To us, it seems so severe and out of the blue. And again, this is how we can get this idea of an angry Old Testament God. We don't really know what to do with idols and idolatry in the Bible, so we don't understand why the Lord would hate it so much. So we'll be discussing that today. What was and is idolatry? So in the ancient Near East, like Egypt, Babylon, Canaan, people obviously didn't have a modern understanding of how the world worked, but they could look out and see certain patterns. And from those patterns, they started to make out some idea of order. But a lot of their lives were still affected by chaos. And that chaos could easily become deadly. We sometimes make the mistake of assuming ancient people were stupid. In reality, they had just as much natural ability to ask questions about the world as we do. They just had less access to good information. Maybe an example of this is that they saw that there were patterns, like sowing and reaping, signs of rain, seasonal patterns, etc. But they didn't know what was behind the patterns. In their cosmology, the most reasonable explanation for all these unknowns was that there were different gods who were behind the various phenomena. The other thing about this belief was that If gods are behind the chaos, then maybe I can find a way to control them. And be honest, who doesn't love a little control in the midst of chaos? Oh, for sure. And people also believed that each city and each nation had its own gods. A big thought was that the gods were geographically bound, sort of like we are. And they had some kind of concept that worship and offerings made their gods more dominant than the gods of other lands. Yeah, and they also had different gods to explain different aspects of life. So things like rain, fertility, war, and so on. That's right. And part of how you could control the gods, so they thought, might be to offer some food sacrifice. I mean, we get more energy when we have food. Yeah, we literally have things called energy bars. So sacrifices were essentially used like the god version of energy bars. That's a good way of putting it. So yeah, people would try to make their gods stronger, but they also came up with other ways of worship. 
they had this idea called sympathetic worship, where they believed that if the gods saw humans doing something, the gods would get the idea and do the same thing. That's right. And as we can imagine with these beliefs, things got really dark really fast. I think the most famous example of how dark sympathetic worship got was with Baal and Asherah. Yeah, so Baal was the god of rain and crops, and Asherah was the goddess of sexual fertility. She was often depicted as a tree because of the belief that she could make animals and people fruitful. The prophets in scripture actually talk a lot about high places or sacred poles or trees. Those were all ways of referring to these trees that were erected on hilltops to worship Asherah. And people worshiped gods on mountains because they thought that that was closer to heaven where the gods lived. So that's where they tried to manipulate the gods into causing fertility and rain. Yeah, they thought that if Baal and Asherah had sex, the byproduct would be things like rain, good crops, fertility for people and livestock. So their worship then included prostitution. There were both male and female temple prostitutes. They thought that ritualized sex could arouse the gods who might mimic their behavior leading to fertility for the land. And the Lord explicitly said that he detested this type of worship in Deuteronomy 23:17 and in many other places. But that didn't stop it from being done. And I mean, imagine how this affected families, marriages and children. Yeah, idolatry was highly sexualized and many idol statues were carved nude or with exaggerated genitals. Children were exposed to so much of this and sexual abuse and trauma came from this system. But sadly, it gets even worse. Now, a lot of pagan practice was not written down in a way that's lasted to modern times. So it's hard to know exactly how everything worked. But there are a number of clues in the Bible and archaeology, and some clues from later in history as well. Yeah, an example is that according to Herodotus, writing in the 5th century BC, Every woman in Babylon had to at least once in her life visit the temple of Aphrodite and consent to intercourse with any man who offered money to her, and that money went to the temple. So the system was horrifically oppressive. And according to the Strabo, a first century Greek philosopher and historian, a lot of temple prostitutes were enslaved people. There's also some evidence that forced temple prostitution might sometimes have been a punishment for women caught in adultery. People would also sometimes castrate their own sons and dedicate them to the local deity for temple prostitution. And then there's this system of sacrifices. There were tons of gods, and like we said before, it was believed that offering sacrifices could make your gods stronger. So imagine you and I are going to war against another nation. They have God too, and we've heard their God is really strong, so we might offer a sacrifice to our God and hopefully that'll give it enough of a boost to overcome our enemy's God. Also, we see in the book of Kings that when Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal, he says, they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. So they would use their own blood and worship. So they were willing to use human suffering as a form of worship. And worst of all, this sometimes culminated in the practice of child sacrifice. There were a few local gods associated with child sacrifice, especially Molech, Chemosh, and Baal. Some idol statues of Molech were cast so that the idol itself was a furnace. They sacrificed their own children in pursuit of prosperity. 
And then in Israel, this was practiced in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, just outside of Jerusalem. Jeremiah actually talks about this. In chapter 7, the Lord says, They have built high places in Topheth and in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command. God was horrified and sent Jeremiah to prophesy that because they had spilled the blood of innocent children in that valley, the Babylonians were going to come and spill their blood in the same place. It's a moment of retributive justice. What they have done to others, God would let happen to them. So that's exactly what happened. Babylon came and slaughtered most of the people of Judah. And then when the remaining people of Judah, 70 years later, returned from exile, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom represented both the wickedness of sin and the retributive judgment of God. Yeah, and as you might imagine, that land became stigmatized. No one wanted to claim that land as their own. So it came to be used as a trash heap. They'd set fire to reduce the trash, and maggots and rot filled the air from there, and wild animals came and scavenged through it. The Valley of Ben-Hinnom was later called Gehenna, and that word, Gehenna, translated into English, is the word hell. So idolatrous worship was much darker than I think we usually realize. And what's most disturbing to me is that these practices were being done while the people also worshipped Yahweh, the Lord. Yeah. In 2 Kings 23.6, it says that King Josiah took the Asherah poles from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. That means people were practicing idolatry in the Lord's temple. There's also signs that Israel worshipped the Lord in ways that borrowed from paganism. So they would blend the true faith with the Canaanite forms of worship. And that kind of religious blending was called syncretism. I think because we live thousands of years later in a totally different culture, it's easy for us to see how twisted Israel's idolatry was. It's easy for us to spot their syncretism. Absolutely. We get this clear perspective of how horrific their practices were. And it's hard to fathom, but what they were doing most of the time was really culturally normal. They did what their neighbors were doing. It just seemed like the normal thing to do. They probably had a whole list of excuses and reasons for what they were doing. Even good kings of Israel, kings that God commends as good, generally failed to remove the high places, the centers of syncretistic worship. It was a blind spot and a really tragic compromise. So years ago, I visited Japan and their main religion is Buddhism mixed with some ancestor worship. So I actually got to see a lot of physical idol statues. Yeah, what was that like for you? Well, initially going there and seeing the idols, temples and shrines, I just kept thinking, wow, this is so dark. They're so lost. But I remember one day I went for a walk through the city and I came across a bright red shrine building on stilts. They had actually built a parking lot beneath it, which Obviously, I thought was weird. Yeah, I don't imagine that's super normal. No. And that got me wondering why they needed a parking lot there. And then I saw that right beside the shrine was a casino. And at that moment, I realized the shrine wasn't actually the people's god. Money was. Oh, wow. So people would use the shrine like a good luck charm for gambling. Exactly. 
They would use idols to help them get their true gods. Money, power, love, luck, health, good grades. I initially saw their idols and thought they were so lost, and then I realized I worship the same gods. Yeah, we pursue the same fundamental realities as Israel or Japan. And honestly, we commit our own form of syncretism that are so culturally normal to us that we don't even notice them. I mean, think about it. We also sacrifice children, sometimes physically through abortion, neglect or abandonment, but also more subtly by consistently putting our careers or maybe even ministry before them. And in America, we also have our own commercialized and exploitative sex industry with tens of thousands of sex slaves across our country. Shout out to Love 146. It's a ministry that fights against child sex trafficking that still happens in our country. And then we also fail to protect our children from sexual imagery that is permitted on billboards, magazines, and airwaves. A billboard just down the road from us posted a nude woman with text covering her genitals. I contacted the Department of Transportation, the city, code enforcement, outfront media that posted the sign, and none of them were willing to do anything to remove the sign. So basically, we sacrifice children's innocence and human dignity to sell products. We also venerate America in a way that's sometimes idolatrous, elevating the flag to be equal to the cross. Oh man, yeah, this is God's country. We're a Christian nation. I mean, we can so easily syncretize God's holy people, the church, with a geographic nation state. And scripture calls us to be good citizens, but also to see ourselves as aliens and strangers in this world, citizens of another kingdom, a heavenly one. Our deepest identity and our truest citizenship is in heaven, not in our country. It's easy to see the idolatry of another culture or even the idols of another political group within our own culture, but it's so much harder to see our own syncretism and idolatrous compromise. That's right. And understanding idolatry helps to explain why the Lord is so zealous to turn the hearts of His people away from corrupt idols and back to Himself as the true and living God. And when we read scripture and come across mentions of Baal and Asherah, those texts still apply to us. They really invite us to dig deeper into our own idols, the ungodly methods we turn to to pursue money, power, comfort, control, sexual pleasure, or national victory. And then, after everything we've done, after all the wickedness of humanity, myself included, it's amazing that God doesn't just destroy us. Yeah, remember what God told Israel about their idolatry? What you did to others, the same thing is going to happen to you. God warned his people so many times, just like that, promising reciprocal punishments for his people's sins. Well, 2,000 years ago, less than a mile from the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, God demanded full payment of all the debt of all our sin and idolatry, only now with this twist. Jesus the Son of God, volunteered to sacrifice Himself to pay the debt and pardon us. The cross was true worship and the opposite of all our false worship. Jesus didn't sacrifice others to a false God to get control and blessing. Jesus sacrificed Himself in obedience to the true living God and gave up control and blessing, all to rescue humanity back to Him. We'll leave with this quote from Isaiah 44, verses 21 through 22. 
This is what the Lord says to the people of Israel. Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you, and you are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sin like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you.